As Maykay began to learn more about Jack Reed through their correspondence, a number of thoughts raced through her brain. She was becoming fascinated by this prison inmate and his stories of drug smuggling for the cartel. Little did she know the spiritual connection that would soon form between them. As the only journalist who had access to Jack's amazing story, initially she thought of their relationship as a great business opportunity for both of them. Let her explain. And and at some point I said, you know, oh my gosh, you know, are you going to write a book? You need to write a book. And he says, I've written my memoirs. And I said, oh, I said, well, I would love to be your biographer. And he says, okay, you can be my biographer. Let me send you my memoirs. Take a look, see what you think. So he sends me these memoirs he wrote in prison, different title, um, not publishable. Interesting, he's a good writer. And when I took over Buccaneer, which is a collaborative effort between the two of us, mm-hmm. um, I tried to keep it in his words, but there were so many holes in the story. And I thought, but well, what happened to so-and-so? And when you went there, how did that happen? And did you get hurt? And did you die? And weren't you scared? And weren't you paranoid? And you know, I had a million questions. So I wrote him back and I said, wow, you know, we need to fill in the gaps. Can I interview you? And he said, of course. Of course, interview me, of course. So we did that over the course of over 100 letters. As one letter turned into two and two turned into more, May Kay realized she wasn't just writing a random guy in prison, she was writing someone that would make a huge impact on her life. So when I, when I was finished reading his memoirs, I had a deep knowing that I, I can't understand, but there was a knowing that it would change my life and it would change his life. And there was this uh, like precognitive sadness, a very deep sadness and grief. And I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what it was. It was so deep. It was a mourning. It was grieving. Uh, what the heck is that? Where is that coming from? So I, I have goosebumps just talking about it now. So I knew that this was bigger than both of us, and I knew I wanted to write his story based on his memoirs, of course. It's a collaborative effort of the memoirs he wrote in prison and then hundreds of interviews that we had together via letters. So I have all those letters. And, you know, he said, well, what do you think? And I said, I think it's great, but I have so many questions. Whatever happened to so-and-so? And why did you do this? And did that hurt? And were you scared? And blah, 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 blah. He said, all right, just, you know, send me the letters and we'll attack. You know, we will address them one by one. And, and that's what we did. And it was very, very exciting. As May Kay begins Jack's story, even his early life is fascinating starting with his upbringing all the way up until he decided to break bad. As she explains, Jack didn't come out of the cradle as a law-breaking smuggler. Jack Reed grew up in what could only be described as 1950s Americana in Riverside, California. It was a very rural community at the time. It's not like it is today, obviously. He loved his parents. His father was a foreman in a press room at a local newspaper. His mother was a homemaker. It took very good care of them, even though, you know, it was depression times. Uh, He seemed to have a very happy childhood. 
sister that he loved dearly, Fern, that just has stuck by him his entire life, always there for him. Yes, now as a child, I think he was interested in diving, uh, springboard diving, and gymnastics. And then as he got older, it was when happy days, the Fonz, and he loved race car driving and drag racing. And they'd hang out at the local diner. I think it was called Cole's Diner. They'd have cherry cokes, and they had those ducktail slicked back haircuts and the leather jackets and the Levi's. You know, he said he never really dated much and they really weren't into girls, they were into the drag racing. Jack led an adventurous life, even before his career as a drug smuggler began, including working for a famous oceanographer you may have heard of. He also had a fascination with scuba diving and ended up having a scuba shop and working with Oh gosh, Jacques Cousteau and Mel Fisher. Um, he was even in some movies. Uh, so he had a very adventurous lifestyle. Jack's search for excitement and an adrenaline rush would also lead him to drag racing. He would end up a regular at the Bonneville Salt Flats, although as Maykay explains, he may have had ulterior motives for this line of work. Overnight, a virtual city mushrooms out of the salt. The Bonneville Nationals are the most important speed trials in the world. Southern California Timing Association already has 200 cars and bikes entered by opening day. Others are yet to come. Over 7,000 people will be on the salt during this one hell-bent-for-leather week. Well, this was a time that he really enjoyed because he loved race car driving. But at the end of the day, he has to admit that it was really to impress the ladies. And it was a lot of work. You know, anybody who, who is really good at anything, world record breakers, um, we have to work very hard to be who we are and what we do. But it was very um, appealing and glamorous, and the ladies loved it. But in the end, it was like, okay, I think I've had enough. It was really to please the ladies. When it came to the ladies, Jack tried repeatedly to become the guy with his wife, kids, and white picket fence. But the square life wasn't for him. He married in the 60s, had two daughters, but Jack soon realized his sexual appetite brought about a wandering eye. During his first marriage, Jack eventually left them behind with his wife. As a self-proclaimed hedonist, Jack wanted to be a bachelor and ran around with scores of different women. He would get married, cheat, divorce, then marry again. He was married five times. He admits they all failed because he cheated on every wife he had. I respected him for being a nonconformist and so non-traditional to be his own man and not fall into the trap of society. You should get married, have children, wear a suit, do this and that and the other. And he was very much a pirate and he was a hedonist, which I thought, oh my goodness. And he had a very sexual past, which oh, I don't know what to think about that, but I'm not going to judge and I'm just going to read it. So it just started with me learning more and more about him. I didn't have any feelings for this man, um, but you know, it was this old guy and he had some very provocative stories, you know, and he broke the law and he's an outlaw, but no, he, he, he wasn't. He was a philosopher. He was very spiritual, highly intelligent. And here he fell in love or really fell in lust with a 14-year-old girl who would go on the adventure of a lifetime with him. Much more on his relationship with a 14-year-old shortly. But remember, as creepy and immoral as that feels to all of us today, back then was a much different stranger time. A perfect example, Elvis Presley started dating his future wife Priscilla when she was 14 and no one batted an eye at that. 
Pretty messed up, I know, but so were the 70s in general for women. They had to fight for equal rights, pay, and even what they could do with their own bodies back then. In other words, being a woman in the 70s was all kinds of fucked up. Anyways, back to the story. I'm sure you have a variety of questions. How did this guy get involved with the cartel? Wasn't he a pilot, not a race car driver? How did he get a life sentence? We will get to all of this, but to start it off, yes, Jack was a record-breaking race car driver. But remember, he's an adventurer. Maykay explains. So what I think is interesting is initially as a pilot, uh, he was an honest, as he called, quote unquote, honest pilot working for a charter company that flew people to Vegas, gamblers Mm -hmm. to Vegas. And he said, oh, what a horrible group of people. You know, he just really hated that. Jack grew to hate the suits he was shuttling back and forth to Vegas. And this resulted in his first bite at the smuggling apple, transporting marijuana for another group of people. At first, Jack was extremely paranoid. He was making runs flying back and forth from US to Mexico, but was terrified of getting caught. Jack once said that every smuggler is scared at first, but eventually you get used to it. His early connections into the drug game were through a guy we will call Papa Charlie and his girlfriend, who had a beautiful 14-year-old daughter. Maykay picks up the story from there. So he's surrounded himself by these folks that are in the drug culture. Papa Charlie is a drug dealer and his girlfriend, mom, we will call her, he meets them as over at their house and there's this young teen girl at the house that uh, he will eventually fall in love with. Her name is Sheldon. And they would eventually run off together and have just an adventure of a lifetime. So this is really a big part of Jack's story. Mm-hmm. And folks associated with mom and Papa Charlie, there were other drug smugglers or dealers that he came to know. So there were other drug dealers and smugglers that he would get to know. The new drug connections allowed Jack to dive headfirst into the risky lifestyle he had always enjoyed. Many new business opportunities arose as well as personal ones. He developed a connection with mom who had surrounded herself with drugs to satisfy her own habit. Mom was a very entertaining woman who was married eight times, but the most important relationship Jack developed was with her young daughter, Sheldon. She was a cute little girl. He said all she could do was eat sunflower seeds and chew bubble gum. But he enjoyed her company. Uh, She was 32 years younger than Jack. But he enjoyed her company and would see her, you know, every once in a while going over to the house. And then eventually, um, you know, it's just this incredible love story that is, of course, very lustful. Uh, and very controversial, very provocative, because there was a 32-year difference in their age. At one point, uh, Jack decided, well, I want to leave Southern California. I think I'll go to Park City for a while and had some friends in Park City and and just enjoyed being there. And Mom decided, well, what the heck? I, I want to go to Park City, too. Mom was not the fondest of Jack and Sheldon's relationship. The relationship by nature was provocative due to the massive age difference between the two. After Park City had run its course, Jack had plans to move to Montana or the South Pacific, and Sheldon wanted to go with him. So he he makes it clear in this very provocative relationship that, you know, she had a choice to be with him or not. He never forced her, according to him, and according to those close to him, tell me that she was never forced. Now, you might argue, well, a girl that young doesn't know any better. 
Okay, we can argue that. But he ended up going to Montana for a while. Sheldon went with him against the mother's wishes. So the mother contacted the FBI um, and claimed kidnapping. She did talk to her daughter, and apparently Sheldon made it clear, I want to be with Jack. He didn't take me. Uh, but the mother really caused a lot of problems for Jack. And, you know, you might argue, well, rightly so. And so, you know, he was imprisoned for that. He was in jail for that for quite a while. And finally, he served his time. It wasn't a very long time, but was let go. And in front of the judge, they decided that, well, look, this wasn't a kidnapping. We're going to reduce the charge to custodial interference. And the mother came with uh, her at that time husband and, you know, testified that, you know, I think mom just really hated Jack. And, and Jack said he was never attracted to mom. She was fun to be around, but she could snap in a heartbeat and turn on you and just become somebody that you would not want to be on the bad side of. And the mother, there may have been, this according to Jack, there may have been some jealousy on the mother's part that, God, you're interested in my girl, but you're not interested in me. And again, of course, you know, we're not here to judge. How appropriate is it to, you know, be in love with a 14-year-old? Uh, Sheldon ended up staying with Jack for 11 years. And those close to Jack and those who were with Sheldon and Jack on a daily basis and knew them, they've all told me they never felt she was forced. She was very happy with him. He promised her the world. He gave her everything she could ever dream for or imagine plenty of money. She never wanted for anything. And he told her, you will never have to work a day in your life. I will take care of you. And he took that seriously. He really, really took care of her. But it's quite a love story. And initially when I heard it, I'm a very optimistic, open-minded person. So rather than judge and think, ooh, this gross old man in his 50s mm -hmm. and this young girl, young teen girl, how gross. I didn't think that. I just thought love is love. The heart wants what the heart wants. Now, was lust involved in it? Yeah. I mean, he admitted that to me, that really lust was his nemesis. And, and his relationship with her and the resulting relationship with the mother was his downfall. After mom's kidnapping accusations were straightened out and Jack was released from jail, they eventually began a whirlwind romantic relationship. They settled back in Southern California where Jack looked up an old acquaintance. He referred to as String Bean in Buccaneer. String Bean had made a connection with a Colombian who was in the coke business, even making a few smuggling runs for him in the Caribbean. Mayke picks up the story from there. You know, he'd been introduced to a friend who said, I know this Colombian guy and he's looking for an airplane. Can you help us find an airplane? And he found um, Piper Navajo 50 Romeo Kilo. And then after finding the airplane and he was paid a finder's fee by this friend who knew Carlos later, mm -hmm. he said, well, the Colombian that you found the airplane for uh, is very pleased with you and the airplane. How would you like to go to the island where he is Norman's Key and meet him? So you're going to fly the, the Navajo over to Norman's Key and you'll be able to meet this gentleman. He thought, what the heck? So he took his young girlfriend with him and they all got in the Piper Navajo and Russ O'Hara went with him. Russ at the time was a disc jockey. He was a very well-known disc jockey. He was looking for adventure. Good. It's good. Okay. It's Monday afternoon. This is Russ O'Hara, totally normal on the radio. I'm also on video right now as we speak. TV, hey, star time. What can I say? Carol, big time now, 321. 
and, and another gentleman, and they flew to Norman's Key and this beautiful island in the Exuma chain. My God, there's no more beautiful paradise on earth than Norman's Key. It's breathtaking. And they waited a couple days for the Colombian to show up. And when the Colombian showed up, and that would be Carlos later, Rivas, when he showed up, Jack was about 10 years older though, or excuse me, 20 years older. They're both very charismatic. So Jack is this handsome, tanned, fit gentleman, and Carlos even more so. And they really hit it off and became friends. And that's when Carlos asked, how would you like to, you know, join forces and, and work with me? Not to go all Casablanca on you, but as Humphrey Bogart once said, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship.